This show is sponsored by The Pragmatic Studio. The Pragmatic Studio has been teaching iOS development since November of 2008. They have a four-day hands-on course where you learn all the tools, APIs, and techniques to build iOS apps with confidence and understand how all the pieces fit together. They have two courses coming up. The first one's in July from the 22nd to the 25th in Reston, Virginia, and you can get early registration up through June 21st. You can also sign up for their August course, and that's August 26th through the 29th in Denver, Colorado, and you can get early registration through July 26th. If you want a private course for teams of five developers or more, you can also sign up on their website at pragmaticstudio.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 11 of iFreaks. This week on our panel, we have Pete Hodgson. Good morning. Rod Schmidt. Good morning. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we're going to be talking about uh, the trade-offs between web apps and native apps. So one of the things that kind of made me want to talk about this was that I remember a while ago, 37 Signals came out and basically said, we're not going to write iPhone apps or Android apps for our products. We're just going to make mobile versions of the websites and people can just use that. And, and I thought that was really interesting. So I'm curious with you guys, what you see as the trade-offs between one or the other. Well, since then, uh, they've changed a little bit. They're now using Ruby Motion for their Basecamp app mixed with some web technology. So now they're kind of hybrid. Mm. So I think that's a really good point. So when I talk about this stuff to clients, I say that like the question of web versus native, um, the answer is yes. And really, it's not like, should I do web or should I do native? It's should I, where should I sit on the spectrum between uh, fully native and fully uh, HTML and actually not that many, not that many people go to either extreme. So there's not that many products that don't have any any installed app at all, and there's not that many products that don't use the web at some point inside of their. Even if it's a native app, they still use a lot of not of technology or a lot of uh, apps still have uh, web webby stuff inside of them that uh, is sometimes surprising. What do you mean by <laughs> webby stuff? Are you talking about like to, to even even just something as simple as HTML an HTML view for uh, so let's say let's say you're doing an FAQ for um, for your let's say you're doing legal disclaimers is the classic example that I always use you're doing legal disclaimers for your app you could do the layout and and markup and stuff in code or you could just write a bunch, write some simple HTML shove it in a UI web view and embed it in your in your app and that's that's normally uh, a better way to go. Yeah, that, that's what I was wondering, is if they were using UI WebView or if there were some other ways of getting web technologies into your iOS uh, application. Um, well, the only the other thing that some people do if they want to run JavaScript in and inside of their iOS app is you can actually embed... you. Well, actually, uh, it's WWDC has just happened and there's NDAs and I can't remember what I'm allowed to... Uh, you can compile... I can talk about this because this is not related to WWDC. You can compile a, uh, a JavaScript interpreter, the actual... The, the one that ships with WebKit. You can compile that and put it into your app if you want to. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it's that's a pretty extreme thing to do. Normally, when I've had stuff where I want to execute JavaScript outside of the context of a browser, I just uh, create a web a UI web view and and just kind of don't attach it to any view but just use it to execute JavaScript because you can pass JavaScript to a UI web view and, and have it execute it and return the result. Right, and then you're just taking advantage of the built-in runtime for JavaScript. 
Yeah, yeah, which is good if you've got cross-platform, um, if you've got code that you don't want to re-implement in every single platform. Mm-hmm. So that's like, like I think that's the trade. The big trade-off that most people think about is platform coverage versus um, versus like the user experience. So if you do everything native, you're probably going to get a better experience, but you're only covering iOS, obviously. If you do everything with a web page, then you cover every platform, but the experience is is not going to be as good as if you kind of sink a bunch of time into uh, polishing every pixel of your of your beautiful iPad app or iPhone app. Yeah, yeah I, I can definitely tell when I'm using a, a web based app like Red mm-hmm. Boxes. It's just the performance is just horrible. Yeah, and it doesn't feel right. Now, yeah, so that's that's an interesting one as well. Is that uncanny valley thing of like it doesn't feel right? And I think that so do you get do you get that feeling, Rod, when you're using a a website? Like if you're if you go browse to a site on mobile Safari, I would argue that you probably don't feel like it doesn't feel right because you expect it to be webby, right? You expect it to feel like a web page. Uh-huh. But when you're in a native app, you expect it to feel native. And if someone kind of tries to fool you by pretending to be native when it's actually HTML, then you get this uncanny valley effect where you know what they're trying to do but it doesn't quite look right so um so you kind of focus on what's different so right that, that's like um like final fantasy the final fantasy movie they mm-hmm. tried to make it photorealistic so everyone obsessed by the fact was you know focused on the fact that it didn't it, it looked weird whereas toy story uh they didn't try and make it photorealistic and everyone talked about how amazing the cgi was Mm-hmm. Right. I think that's fair. I mean, a lot of times you're looking at the scrolling and the scrolling is yeah. slow. Yep. But I could see, you know, if you, if you didn't try to completely simulate the look of iOS and all the wid- native widgets mm-hmm. and you just went for kind of a a pure web UI, then yeah, it probably wouldn't be as much of a deal. Yeah. And that's why I I don't like uh frameworks like Sensor Touch because they do that thing of like trying to feel native. Um, and and also, if you think about it, you're trying to target multiple platforms. If you make it look like I, I look just like an iPhone app, people who use Androids are gonna think that you're a bit of a weirdo, right? Like, like yeah. So yeah. I guess one there are different levels along here, and one is is just you go you go straight to straight for the web app, and they have to open your application in the browser. Mm-hmm. And then the next one is you know there are frameworks out there like uh, Accelerator, Titanium. Phone gap. And phone gap that basically give you a web UI or UI web view, and then mm-hmm. and then you know you have basically your HTML layout, most of your touch events and stuff for JavaScript, and then they have some hooks into some of the native functionality like cameras and things. Yeah, and then you go all the way to you know it's it's built in interface builder or your interface is built in code. And, you know, everything is just full stack, Objective C or, you know, statically compiled, whatever, you know, Ruby or whatever. There's one other configuration. That's where you have a native app with a UI web view and you put some, some web stuff in there. I've done that. A lot of, a lot of apps do that actually. And it works well when you, you have some kind of data or page, like a fact that we talked about earlier that mm-hmm. updates a lot and you don't want to issue an update every time, you know, go through the whole approval, app approval process every time you update the fact. Right. So can't you just uh, set up some kind of API that it could pull from and then just do it all in native code anyway? 
You could do yeah. that too. Yeah. And the other, the other thing that you can do, which people don't do enough and they should do more of, is set up an API, pull down JSON, and then render it client side in HTML. Uh, then you get the best of both worlds, in my opinion. So, right. Uh, you get the, perf- the, 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 you don't get the performance, the crappy performance characteristics of downloading a huge chunk of HTML, but you get the cross platformness of using HTML and not having to re, you know, Re- write the <clears throat> write the parsing code and write the rendering code for for Android and iPhone or whatever. Yeah. So so let's go back to just a, a web page on the web that you hit with your browser for a minute. The the trade offs that I really see with that are a you know you get a universal experience across everything, provided it works in all of the browsers on all of the different devices, and, and so that's really nice. But the flip side for me is that you know I like having that that app icon on my phone. And I don't always you like can going still to, do I, that though. I know, I mean, but you, I hate going to the trouble of yeah, you know, figuring because I have to figure it out every time. Okay, how do I make this bookmarked on my yeah phone interface so that when I tap it, it opens up the browser and opens up to this place and yeah. And you a also, lot of people don't know about that, so it doesn't become this super usable, accessible, available thing for people. So maybe I'm I'm a little bit of a of a kind of a weirdo in this regard, but I actually have the opposite thing sometimes where um, I don't want to install an app on my phone just to check into United or whatever. So right. I would rather I would I would be very happy to fire up um, the browser and go to United.com and have them take me to their mediocre mobile experience. So the argument that I always make as well is when people say, "Oh, we 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 don't want to make a, a mobile." web app is even if you don't make a mobile experience for your product um, people are gonna go to your website on their phone it's it's you're kidding yourself if you think that everyone who wants to use your your product is gonna go there uh, is is not gonna try and go go there using a browser if your if your product is a mobile app so if you're Instagram, for example, then that's not a big deal because you just don't have a mobile experience. But if you're a, I guess the kind of clients I work with are, are like uh, clients where mobile is just a channel into their product. It's not the product. So the product isn't a mobile app. The, mm-hmm. the mobile app is a channel into their products. And in that case, you've got to have a, a web experience of some kind. So it, So why not make it a good web experience and then maybe do native stuff on top of that? That I completely agree with. You need a mobile presence, mobile-friendly yep. presence, anyway. Yeah, unless you're unless you're Angry Birds, for example, right? Like Angry Birds, they don't need a. They probably have a website. I don't know, but they don't need to to worry about like people who get an email that links to their website, and then you know what's the, that experience going to be like? They they can rely on people installing stuff. But if if you're building something as a channel into your product, not the pro- the thing you're building isn't the product itself. Then you need to you need to think about the web anyway. I would say that most people are probably accessing websites from mobile devices these days. I released a website, getnumerology.com, and you know I kind of I use a responsive design template. And I was you know as I was developing, I kind of had this uh, mindset that everyone's going to hit it from a browser on their desktop. And when I checked the analytics, most access came from mobile devices. Yeah, I've heard that from a lot of people, and I think, I think the the most conservative numbers I've heard is still like thirty thirty five percent of their traffic is coming from mobile, mm-hmm. and I've heard all the way up to like eighty percent, depending on what 
what they do and, and who their audience is and how they tend to surf the web. So it, it's a really interesting problem. Yeah, it is. And so w one thing that you you kind of, when you were talking, Chuck, about the spectrum from, you know, fully, fully web to fully native is you kind of said phone gap and titanium and kind of lumped those in the same category. I think people do that a lot, but I actually don't really agree with that. So PhoneGap is just a wrapper around web technologies. So it's basically just a way of taking um, your mobile website and putting enough native stuff around it that you can install it and put it in the app store. And also so that you can access native stuff like the camera, phone book, location, all that kind of stuff. And that's actually pretty different from something like Accelerator or Kony or one of these write once run anywhere tools. Um, because they, you're writing stuff in JavaScript with Accelerator, for example, but you're, but it still, it makes, it doesn't just use HTML. It does actually create native components, native UI components, but, but it also suffers from the uncanny valley, um, effect. And if Ben was here, I'm sure he would, he would agree with me on that one. Well, what do you mean by the uncanny valley? So that's that thing I was talking about where it tries to be native, but it can't quite do it. And because you know what it's trying to do, because it's, it's in the context of looking, it's, tr it, it, it's trying to impersonate a native application. And because it doesn't quite get it right, you focus on the fact that it doesn't get it right. So th that phrase comes from uh, robotics. So they did this, this guy in the 80s observed this effect that if you have a robot that looks like a robot, that looks like a machine, people are very happy to have it do work for them. But if you try and make that robot look human, as you get kind of close to humanness, it stops becoming something that people like and people suddenly start finding it uncanny or zombie-like. Um, so, you know, those, those weird Japanese robots you see where it's like a kind of a, a human face and it's like got this weird kind of plastic look and you just kind of focus on the fact that it looks almost human but not quite and people kind of freak out about it. So this is called the uncanny valley because there's kind of dip in people's response to, to, to what it looks like. And then you can apply that same principle to animation, for example. So I was making that reference earlier to Final Fantasy uh -huh. uh, and how Final Fantasy people obsessed or uh, the movie with the train, the winter movie with the trains with Tom Hanks, you know, oh, the one yeah. with, like it, it, everyone thinks about that movie and they think about how they didn't get get it quite right, right? Whereas Toy Story, people talk about how amazing the CGI was. Now, it wasn't because the CGI in Toy Story was better. It was because Toy Story wasn't pretending to be photorealistic. So that's the analogy that I make for, uh, that's the uncanny valley thing. Yeah, uh, that's, my wife uh, loved Polar Express. And yeah, the <laughs> the my brain parsing it and going, that's a human face, mm -hmm. except, except, except. Yep. Yeah, yep. I couldn't enjoy the movie. Exactly. And you focus on it, right? Because you know what it's trying to do. Um, and it's, it's the same thing. As, uh, the, I, I think um, Rod had the classic example that all developers notice is the scrolling in, in web views when they're in a native app. Now, it's, uh, and that's a, just like a perfect example because it is true. Uh, the scrolling's worse, but it's like if, it, if you weren't in the context of a native application, you really wouldn't care whether the scrolling's good or not. When I'm using when I'm going to bbc.com on a, on my, on mobile safari, I don't even think about the scrolling. But if I'm using BBC, the BBC app and it has funny scrolling, I'm, I'm, I'm going to focus on it because I expect a native experience in that context. I mean, when I'm in the context of a browser, I don't expect 
um, native performance. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, and you don't. I mean, if you think about it, who, if you're unless you're playing a video game, who really cares about the scrolling? I mean, like, I guess, I guess maybe I'm a little bit extreme on that one, but for me, I if it's if you're serving up content, if then the presentation is important, but the content is the is the thing that's really important, and maybe. As a content provider, you're more interested in reach than you are in perfection of the UI, for example. Yeah, I think the main thing with some of the apps that I've seen that are built on sort of that, you know, they, they set up a UI web view and then everything kind of lives in there. And then they bring in some native components so that they can do what mm -hmm. they have to do. Yeah. Is that it doesn't always behave as I expect. And I yeah. can't really quantify what all of that is because, yeah. you know, it, it's kind of like I couldn't quantify why the people in the Polar Express look funny. Yeah. But uh, at the same time, you know, it, it just seems like, okay, well, the device is designed to run these apps this way, so I, mm -hmm. I, tend, I tend to lean more toward the, the native experience. The other thing is is that I, I kind of like having the option. So, you know, you mentioned that things like United, where you, you know, you wouldn't necessarily want an app on your phone, um, I, I tend to agree with that in the sense that things that I don't use very often, I, I have the habit of uh, removing from my phone. Right. And, you know, and then I just use the web experience every, every once in a great while, or I'll reinstall the app if I really want it. But, you know, for things that I'm using all the time, I still tend to prefer the, the native apps. Yeah, me too. Me too. I, I, I'm actually looking on my phone right now and trying to find stuff that I've bookmarked that's a, that's a web app, and there isn't almost anything at all, almost anything which I use on a regular basis, I use, I have an installed app. Although I think you'd be kind of surprised at, at how many of these applications are using uh, like a large amount of HTML under the covers, um, kind of blended um, blended with the with the native. I think that's what makes, that's that's to me is the really successful kind of technology choices is when you pick and choose the right thing based on Based on all the factors, so if you're like, um, you can you can do layout in HTML, but but put it inside of a of a native experience so that you still get great scrolling and still get the kind of the responsiveness and whatever of, of a native application, but you get to use HTML and CSS for layout, for example, rather than having to do all of that by hand or use you know tear your hair out trying to understand auto layout. And all that stuff. Um, so I think it's uh, it's about picking picking the right, making smart technology choices, and not thinking that it's like we have to do a web view or we have to do um, a native view. So I, I guess my question then is: you make it sound like you would use uh, HTML or uh, UI web views for certain things inside of a native app. But what are the circumstances under which you'd want to do something like that? I mean, so, why? What, what's the trade-off between doing that and managing it native code so i guess that the, there's platform reach is one of them let's say i want to support android and um an iphone and i want to do a fairly rich i don't know data entry uh thing or let's not say data entry let's say i want to do a rich um kind of layout of information and i want uh, some graphs and charts in there and some text and blah 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 i could write the code to to generate those in natively in Android and natively in iOS. And that's going to be not just expensive because I'm going to do it on two platforms, but also expensive because doing this stuff natively is, in my experience, a little bit slower than doing it with web technologies. It's also, so, so there's this trade-off, right, where you can sync the time into doing it natively 
uh, possibly on multiple platforms. Or if you do it with with web, then you um, you can reuse that. You can you know pay a one-time cost of building it, which I, which is probably going to be less than building it natively. And in exchange, you also get something that you can use on all of your platforms, including your mobile website, maybe. So, so you just style it a little bit differently for the different platforms, kind of thing. No, I don't. I so that gets back to that uncanny value thing. I'm not a fan of that. I I'm a fan of like embracing the fact that you you're not trying to be fully native. And so if you think about it, if you look at most apps, um, the Chrome around the outside it fits in with the platform, but the content in the middle often often doesn't. So I think that you can get away with having your own style that's not native. That doesn't look like iOS or Android. It just looks um, looks well designed. So Google, the Google apps are really good examples of this. The Google Maps on on your iPhone doesn't really look very iPhoney, but it looks good, and it has some paradigms that feel familiar, but um, it doesn't look like it has iPhone Chrome in it. Um, so they can do you, you know you can do the same kind of thing where you have something that's just a nice um, experience. But but isn't necessarily iOS y or, or Android y. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. And I, I'm so the reason I know loads about this stuff is because I, I spent like a year building a native iOS app for a bank and then a year building that same app fully uh, HTML. And the trade offs that we did there, we kind of learned that neither of that was the right was the right thing to do necessarily or was the best decision so the best decision was somewhere in the middle where you're sharing a lot of the the boring layout code and uh, all of the business logic ideally you want to share that across your platforms so actually I'll insert my plug here we 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 did like an open source we open sourced a framework around that called Calatrava and I guess I'll probably put that as a pick so we'll have a link in the in the show notes but that's kind of a similar but different idea to some of these cross-platform tools like like Coney or um, Accelerator. Uh-huh. So um, the other question I have is on uh, on just a mobile web app, you know, wh- where it's mobile friendly. Maybe you have responsive design or something on it. Are there ways of accessing like the camera or the GPS? I- I've had web apps request access to my location, for example. So how-, how do you do that kind of stuff? So that's that's kind of PhoneGap's sweet spot. That's so PhoneGap. The philosophy behind PhoneGap, I think, is really interesting. They, I don't know if they still say this, but they used to say that their goal was to not exist. Um, their goal was to not be necessary. So they, um, they kind of uh, expose uh, that kind of native stuff, like access to the camera, like access to location. Um, but they make it feel like so they expose it through a JavaScript API. So you still, you're still doing. Um, you're still writing your app in JavaScript and HTML, but you just have access to this kind of more, there's a kind of a bridge to, to native functionality. And their goal is for eventually that stuff to be built into the browser so you don't have to run in PhoneGap. So access to the accelerometer, for example. Right now, I think with PhoneGap, you would use some kind of custom PhoneGap API inside of your JavaScript code to access the accelerometer on your device. But they would hope that in the future that will become a web standard, like a mobile web standard for accessing the accelerometer, just like there's a there's now a pretty established mobile web standard for accessing geolocation. Um, so PhoneGap's kind of goal is to not be necessary because that stuff will be, will be built into the browsers rather than having to use something like PhoneGap to access it. Does that make sense? I'm not sure if I explained that very well. 
Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so, all- so we also find a lot with our clients that PhoneGap is good to get you started in, in trying this out, but quite often you end up kind of building your own custom PhoneGap-y-like thing because you want something, again, you want to be able to make that choice a piece, uh, at, at the uh, at a more granular level between native and HTML, and PhoneGap is pretty, you're pretty far on the spectrum towards HTML because you're basically using HTML for everything. You're just using PhoneGap to access access the hardware, access the platform. Yeah, I think this the what PhoneGap. I don't know much about PhoneGap, but I think what it does is you're pretty easy to do on your own with just UI WebView, and you can have a delegate for your UI WebView and intercept uh, clicks on links. And then do whatever you want. So yep. you can even have a custom uh, scheme that that tells your app, okay, this is this is my job, and mm-hmm. does its thing, like getting a location or or taking a picture or, or whatever. Yeah, it, it is pretty. It's actually not that much work to do. I mean, obviously, you know, the, the devil's in the details, and um, the the first eighty percent is is always the easiest and, and all that kind of stuff. But doing the basics of PhoneGap. So when we when we first started working on this uh, open source Calatrava thing. Uh, part of what that does is bridges between JavaScript and native, just the same as PhoneGap does. And um, we, I was actually pretty surprised at how easy it was to do that bridging between the two. It's not, it's not that much work. So I, I guess my next question is uh, more along the lines of, let's say that I'm going to start a new internet company and uh, you know I'm building a social network for, for dogs. And, uh, you know, I... I definitely want this uh, online component. In fact, let me take it back. Let's say that I have some app that I really want to be on the mobile. Like mobile is my my focus, you know, so it can be, you know, some kind of social thing. But, you know, mainly it's for me to get information on my phone. So should I focus more on building out the web component of it first? Or should I worry about the mobile native parts of it? So there's all these factors that tie into that, right? So there's, do you care about platform reach more than you care about experience, for example? These, these things are always end up being trade-offs. So if you want to, so some examples of trade-offs would be time to market, what your skill set is, um, you know, what, com- what technologies you're more comfortable with, how many platforms you want to support, um, how, ex- how important experience is versus those other things. And I like this is me being classic consultant, but it depends, right? Like it depends on your context. <laughs> mm-hmm. So let's 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 take this example of so, a social a social network. The one of the most important things for you early on is to be able to grow your user base, right? Because that's how social networks become popular. Um, so I would say that the most important thing is to make your network super duper sticky and easy to get on board with. So you probably want to be able to have someone send a link or something. Um, and if you're doing that, then someone's going to be on their phone opening up this thing in an email. They're going to tap that link and they're going to look at it in a browser. So you need some kind of browser experience anyway. And you're going to need a. You're definitely going to need a back end. So yeah, well, maybe not necessarily. Well, so I we should do. We could do a different. Uh, different episode on Embass uh, mobile back end as a service. Uh, which is like things like Pars and right. Stackbob and all those guys. So you can actually build quite a lot of stuff these days without actually running a server. That's true. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So so sorry, Chuck. I just basically kind of rained on your parade with it depends. No, it's fine. <laughs> uh, and and those are the kinds of trade offs that I think we really, you know, want to help people understand is just that, you know, depending on what your application is and depending on 
what your goals are, you know, the web component may be more important than the mobile component or vice versa. Yeah. And so I'm distracted because I actually, so I, I went to Australia a while ago and did a talk on, on just this stuff. And I'm looking for the deck because if I find this deck, then I can just read the deck and then I don't have to think. <laughs> well, what about this case? I have a lot of people approaching me, you know, they, they have a question. They want to write an app. They just want to write an app and they're, they have a web development background and, and so they don't know the, the mobile technologies and they want an Android app or an iPhone app and they don't, so they want a cross platform development system. So they typically kind of lean towards something like PhoneGap. And I try to, to talk them out of that. So what do you guys think about that? So why do you try to talk them out of that? I guess that's a good place to start. Well, cause it's going to be an app that just runs on the, on the device. There's no back end and the user ex- for me, the user experience isn't going to be what, what they want. Mm-hmm. That's my main, main reasoning. I know we've, we've kind of talked about that, but yeah, I, I think it really comes down to the, the right tool for the right job. And you know, if, if it'll do what they need it to do and it doesn't feel funny when people try and use it on their phone. In other words, if it doesn't behave in ways that people don't expect it to. Another thing is uh, when you have a, just a web app, you don't have the same exposure as you do in the app store. And granted, yeah. there's there's tons of apps in the app store, and you have an, a battle with exposure there, but not as much as on the general web. Yeah, that's definitely a factor that discoverability. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and again, like you know, if Chuck's hypothetical example, if he's building a new service and trying to get it off the ground, probably that discoverability is valuable to him. If he's um, if you're Starbucks, then you don't need to re- really worry that someone's not going to be aware of your app. You can just assume they'll search for it, or that they'll um, they'll search. You know, they'll fire up the search engine on their phone in you know in their phone's browser and, and look for you. Yeah, and the other thing with that too is that uh, you know most of their business walks in the door, and so they can put up you know a QR code or something that that takes yep. people into the app store to get it. So. Um, you know, all you really have to do is sell them on the perks of that and then understand what the value proposition is for your app. Yeah. And one thing we haven't talked about in, in this kind of realm of cross-platform options is, so one of the reasons I think that people uh, go for cross-platform stuff like HTML is they don't want to re-implement everything on each platform and maintain right. everything on each platform and add functionality on each platform. And, as you know, you can use, like, all of these cool client-side technologies like Kony or PhoneGap or Calatrava or whatever. Um, but the other option is just to move that logic off the ser- off the client and onto the server. So um, make your kind of your client application as skinny and thin as possible, and put the logic over there in uh, in your back end. Uh, the, the challenge there though is that the the performance and the usability is gonna is gonna suffer because you're having to talk to the server all the time. Yeah, I guess we didn't really talk about that, but there is that trade off as well where. Yeah. If you're reliant on a back-end service, you know, there, there's going to be some performance degradation unless you're caching or saving the information on your device in one way or another. Yeah. And that's, and s- that's where Facebook... Um, I, so Facebook famously had this horrible app for the longest time, and they said it was because they tried to do this face web HTML thing. And, you know, Mark Zuckerberg famously... Well, famously, I think, said um, you know, that... Face web decision was the biggest strategic mistake Facebook have ever made, and um, they made this big and big deal about moving from web-based technologies to native technologies. They did this big rewrite, 
But I think a lot of the reasons why they failed or had a hard time doing stuff with web-based technologies was because they were using them wrong. They were kind of downloading two megs of HTML <laughs> when you wanted to find out what, you know, update, what, see what photos your friends have posted. You can, you can still do that with web technologies, but if you're, you know, pulling down JSON and rendering it on the client side or something like that, then um, you, you can sometimes get the best of both worlds. Another consideration is, depending on what your, your app does, you may not have access to the web all the time, and it may be important yeah. to access your data when you're offline. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and I guess that's another trade-off when it comes down to the, you know, fully on the web view, is if you can't get to the internet, then you can't get to the application. Right. Yeah. Although technically that's not true. You can use HTML5 technologies like App Cache, which lets you kind of download the application and store it locally on in the browser. So it's kind of like local storage, but you're actually storing the HTML, the CSS, the JavaScript. Right. Uh, and then uh, even if you're totally offline, you can still use the application. So I think uh, an old but good example of this is a is a, like a, a little app called Every Time Zone. I think it's called Every Time Zone. I always forget the name of it. Um, but that uses uh, app cache and, and other things to to make like a really nice time zone picker thing that um, that you can look at in a browser. But if you go to it on your iPad, then you get a nice app that will work even if you've you know even if you're on on a plane. Now, is is that uh, tied to the HTML5 storage? Yes, it's it's yeah. So it's like local store. It's 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 a it's a parallel specification i suppose to local storage so you can use this and local storage and run yeah. the whole thing yeah exactly offline yeah exactly do you explicitly have to do that or yeah it's really it's a horrible horrible implementation actually it's really hard to get right it's famously hard to get right like i went to a talk at a conference from so the ft.com is a really good example of folks that, that have embraced HTML and done a, done a great job. One of the things they talk about doing is using app cache as little as possible because it's so uh, fiddly to, to implement correctly. Okay. There's this weird protocol. It, it's, I, I, can't, I can never remember exactly what makes it so weird, but basically when you first open up the, the page in, your, in, in the browser, it shows you whatever is in the cache, and then it, in the back end, or in the background, it goes to the server and asks, like, has this stuff changed uh, since the last time? Like, is, basically, has the app been upgraded? And if it has, then it kind of downloads the new version, but it doesn't show you the new version until you close the web page and then reopen it again. Um, so it's very confusing to, to develop. It's very confusing to debug. And if you get things wrong, then it will just never update. <laughs> oh, man. And I've done that. I have. I actually still have that. One of my five hundred little side projects is this um, this uh, this transit app. And I did a, a web version, a couple of different web versions, and a native iOS version. And the web version, I think, is still broken because I, you know, I side projects. I kind of half finished it and then got distracted. But uh, it still it never updates. So if you've got it, if you visited that web page at some point then you're kind of screwed. It's like locked into this old version. And I, unless you manually kind of clear out your cache, it's not going to ever update. So it's a, it's a horrible thing to implement, but it does, it does work. It's just horrible to implement. Interesting. Any other aspects of uh, HTML5 or HTML versus native web apps that we should talk about? We could talk a little bit about like the, the presentation, the HTML 
presentation framework. So things like jQuery mobile, Sentry Touch, those kind of things if you are going to do HTML. Mm-hmm. So we used jQuery mobile when we were building this big JavaScript app. And it's kind of cool because you, you kind of declaratively, you can kind of describe your user interface in very kind of declarative semantic HTML. And then it does a bunch of work, bunch of kind of magic to turn that into um, a good a good UI. So you kind of all you 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 send down to the to the client just a, like pretty skinny, straightforward looking HTML. And then when the page loads, the browser does a bunch of bunch of work to kind of like it, it actually like will run through the the DOM and find certain elements and like replace them with other HTML elements and like change a button into a div and change a drop down into a different kind of drop down depending on the phone. And it's it's great. It's really cool technology, but it's also um, when we were using it, which was pre 1.0. But when we were using it, the performance was was actually quite bad because it was doing so much of this uh, awesome client side stuff. And we found, particularly with older Android browsers, that it was like it was a really really horrible experience from a user experience point of view. No, if I want to use jQuery Mobile in UI WebView in a native app, um, how do I build that in? Do I just you know put it in as part of the bundle and then? Uh, yeah, I mean it? you can. Yeah, you'd, you'd probably have to do. So what we had to do, we were doing a lot of stuff where we were building the the we were building the UI client side, um, and it, 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 I have to caveat all of this. This was like three years ago, but. What we saw was that jQuery Mobile expects stuff to be downloaded from a server and then, like, when on document ready, it kind of says, "All right, let's upgrade this to to look cool." But if you're kind of manually inserting the HTML using client-side templating or something like that, then you have to kind of tell jQuery Mobile, like, "Hey, stuff just changed. I need you to do all that magic you did again." It might be easier to do that nowadays, but you, I mean, you totally can do it. You can just shove this HTML in a web view. Shove the the jQuery mobile runtime, if you will, into that into that web view, and then ask it to do its thing. Um, it's absolutely possible, but again, you're going to get an uncanny valley type thing going on as well because jQuery mobile kind of tries vaguely to look native. I think we yeah. actually had to, we had a pretty we had a pretty bad time with it. Yeah, we we talked to uh, Todd Parker from the jQuery mobile team, okay. um, and uh, on JavaScript Jabber, I should say. And okay. uh, that was a month or two ago, and it does a lot of interesting things. But yeah, we didn't really talk about, um, you know, building it into an app on the machine. We we talked specifically about using it in a web page. But yeah, um, it sounded like they have a look and feel that is, it, it doesn't try and look as native, but obviously you can skin it to look native if you want it to. So yeah, and if you look at it in, so I'm I went to jQueryMobile.com and there's this little thing where you can build the build a UI, which is actually really cool. But if you look at it, it does have that kind of like semi-native looking thing. It has like a button with a chevron on it. And it's and it's a little bit ambiguous, so it's not trying too hard to pretend to be, you know, it's not trying to reproduce the the iPhone navigation or anything. But um it's still it's still quite I don't know, I guess you're right. I guess you can just plug in different themes and try and make it not look native if you don't want to freak people out. Yeah, but you're right. It does have the chevron, and it does have yeah. it does have some UI elements that look like UI elements that uh, Apple provides you building iOS apps. Yeah, but and that's that's a that's a, a good thing and a bad thing because 
you you get all of this. Uh, if someone is using this application, they know what a Chevron does, right? Like they've mm -hmm. it it reminds them of the Chevron that they're used to on their app, so they know. Oh, if I click that, or sorry, if I tap that, I'll probably be taken to another uh, navigated to another page that that um, gives me more details about that thing, right? So there's all these affordances built in because it's uh, using you know reusing the cues that the native UI has. Yeah. But the flip side is you obsess about the fact that the chevron, the 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 border radius of the chevron is uh, you know twelve pixels rather than thirteen pixels or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. I, well, I did a similar thing with my Packrat app. It was actually a Mac app that I did hybrid. Um, it was it was mostly in Objective C, but it was actually a Ruby Cocoa app, and I would use ERB templates to generate uh, the page because the page layout was really complex. So I decided to do an HTML layout and I used DRB with templates to generate that. And it worked pretty well. Nice. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm a big fan of, of using HTML for layout, but but doing it client side. Um, so I think it works works surprisingly well. Sounds good to me. Well, should we get to the picks? Yes. All right. Well, uh, Pete, why don't you start us off? Yeah, okay. Uh, I've been talking a lot this episode, so actually I'm now going through and trying to decide what my picks would be. Um, one of my picks is uh, is this open source framework, sh more shameless self-promotion by me. Um, it's not something I wrote, but it was something I, I, I was kind of involved with at the genesis of it. So it's this framework called Calatrava. And what's great about Calatrava is you can build a base implementation of your application using web technologies, so JavaScript and HTML and CSS. And that will give you a web app, um, an iPhone app, and an Android app. And I think those are the platforms that it supports at the moment. But because you've separated the business logic in JavaScript from the presentation layer in HTML, you can actually take individual parts of that application and upgrade them all the way to fully native. So you can, uh, let's say you have like a, a data entry field that you want to use, um, you want to implement on Android in native code or in, on iPhone in native code, you can take just that screen, implement it natively uh, using Objective-C, but then still drive it using the same JavaScript business logic. So the goal is to kind of get the best of both worlds where you get the cross-platform, cheap to write stuff of web and uh, web technologies, but then you're not, you don't hit this glass ceiling that you hit with technologies like Kony or AppCelerator, where you end up having to rewrite the whole thing because you can't get the native experience that you want. So, yay, Caltrava is awesome. People should check it out. And then my second pick is uh, the author Ian Banks, who has been on my list of people to pick or things to pick for a while, my pick list. And he, he actually died the other day, which I was really, really sad to hear about. Uh, a really, really awesome author. He did really good kind of regular writing, I suppose, but he also did really awesome sci-fi. Uh, so he wrote a bunch of sci-fi novels set in this kind of universe called The Culture. And they're really, really good. They're, they're, they're just really good. They're really good novels that happen to be sci-fi novels. They're not like really good sci-fi. They're really good novels that happen to be set in this awesome kind of crazy universe and very dark very twisted but really really awesome so I, I highly recommend people check out ian banks is is his name when he's writing regular books and ian m banks is his uh, sci-fi um nom de plume but he's he was awesome and really sad that he's uh, not around anymore and that's it all right rod what are your picks 
All right, I just have one pick this week, and it is the Elixir programming language. Let's see, the Pragmatic Programmer Guide. D Dave Thomas, they have a book coming out, and he did a screencast on it, and it looks really interesting. It's like it's a functional programming language built on the Erlang virtual machine. So it's kind of like uh, Erlang with a Ruby syntax. So you got pattern matching and, and all the things that come with functional languages, and it looks, uh, looks nice. Plus one for Alexa. That's it. Awesome. All right, I'm going to pick a couple. Um, the first one is a book that um, I've been reading. We're actually going to have the author on the Freelancer Show in about an hour. Um, his name is Wayne Breitbarth, and uh, his book is The Power Formula for LinkedIn Success. And uh, I've been reading it, and I realized that I'm missing out on a lot of stuff that I could be doing with LinkedIn to make my business a little bit more prominent and, you know, take advantage of it, you know, in, in that way for my business. So, um, that's one pick. The other pick that I have is related to web technologies. If you're looking to get into responsive design and you're not really familiar with it, I have to recommend that you go look at Twitter bootstrap because it makes it really easy. And then you can start to figure out what bootstraps doing to make it responsive. The last pick I have is another uh, resource. If you're building uh, web apps for iOS, it's html5rocks.com. And it's just a great uh, resource for HTML5, and it'll help you figure out, you know, how to use HTML5 in your web pages. And a lot of the HTML5 stuff is supported in uh, mobile Safari and in uh, Chrome for iOS. So if you're looking to implement some of this stuff, like the application cache and stuff, then that's a terrific way to go. And those are my picks. So thanks for coming, guys. We'll, uh, we'll wrap this show up. We'll catch you all next week.